morning, North Boulevard. Those of you who are present at this service, good morning to you. Those of you who are online joining us either from here in Rutherford County or uh, people from all over the country and a few from even other places on planet Earth. It's very glad that you joined us, excited about what God is up to right now. In fact, I'm excited to just make sure that you know. So I'm going to speak to the East Campus for a moment that, God willing, on October 11, we return to a normal schedule. I'm, I'm super excited about that, which means that we will have an 8 o'clock mask required service at East Campus on the 11th. We will return to our Bible school classes at 9.30 and there'll be Bible classes for all ages at the East Campus. And then at 10.30 on the 11th, we'll have a mask optional service. So that's the service that you're watching right now. It'll be mask optional. I do want to make sure you know that we're really enhancing our, our online community. So we want you Many of you, you really shouldn't come back. We're not urging you to come back. Uh, uh, you'll know your health situation. Don't come back until, until it's safe to come back. We're going to enhance the online experience. We're going to continue the online experience. And uh, maybe one of the great things that we get out of this pandemic is an online community, an online campus. It'd be awesome to do that. So it's just the, the future looks bright. We're excited about it. And I'm tell you why. Here's why. Because if it mattered what we were doing in February, then it matters now. If it didn't matter in February, why were we doing it? We we're doing it because it matters. The people of God, what we do, it matters. The strategies that we had employed, we think they're important strategies, so we're eager to get back to them. And I, I want to say I'm really proud of you guys because um, North Boulevard is, um, I, you know I'm going to brag on you, but North Boulevard has just risen to the occasion as you always do. I've got a lot of minister friends who are really concerned about um, what, what, what their church is going to be like when they return. Um, you know, we were hearing predictions of a 20, 25, 30% loss after the pandemic is over with. Already here in Rutherford County, one church of Christ has already closed its doors, gone out of business. There are churches around the country that are just teetering on survival. And uh, you guys have just, you've done a fantastic job staying connected and engaged. Our numbers are actually a little bit bigger than they were before the pandemic. And um, I thank you for that. It's, really, it's just cool to serve at a church like this. I was looking at my Twitter account a couple of days ago and I ran into this really uh, sweet tweet that this guy had sent out. And I tried to contact him and get more information, but I haven't gotten any. So some guy named James Dorman, the fourth, put this tweet in. At age 20, he said, I was converted through what the Puritans call the bare reading of scripture in private. I'm quoting. A minister who evangelized the inmates gave me a study Bible. I met him once and never saw him again. Ten years later, I'm still thankful every day for God's sovereign grace. Just think about it. Some guy visited a prison, left a Bible with someone, never came back, and it changed this guy's life. But the thread was even cooler because after he posted this, there were like a hundred or something responses to it last time I checked. And here are the kinds of responses they had. Some guy named Peter Burns says, wonderful, I was given a New Testament at a Led Zeppelin festival in 1979, which is, that's a place where you probably need to take the New Testament. Nine months later, on my first night in America for holiday, I bowed the knee to Jesus Christ in a Los Angeles motel. Then Helen of Proverbs 31 is her tagline. She says, that's amazing. I was literally dragged out of the pit of drug addiction, witchcraft, sexual immorality. I'm so glad our God cares for all, even those of us on the fringe of society. Uh, Juan Rodriguez says, same here, bro. My mother sent one Bible to a max prism with 36-year sentence. 17 years later, I'm still here praising God. Don't lose your purpose or your vision. Fix your eyes on the prize, Jesus Christ. This guy, Lift Higher, says, I heard of a U.S. Navy sailor 
who was visiting the city of Rome, didn't know anything about Italy, so he read the book of Romans and was converted to Jesus. And if that's not enough for you, how about this one? Here's a guy from prison who says, a guy in a prison who says, I pray that you may have the power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. I think it's fascinating that in a prison, Paul says this, in a place where you would assume that he was discouraged in despair, felt unloved, felt as though there was just really no hope for his life, but just the opposite. He's able to discover the amazing grace, the wonderful love of Jesus, even in a prison. How does that happen? Well, Ephesians chapter 3 helps us answer that question. And I want us to look at Ephesians 3, and you'll see as we walk through Ephesians 3 that it is very simple what Ephesians is about. It's very simple. But it is also profound. This is a message that we need. And let me start by saying this. Our greatest emotional needs for all of us revolve around the need to be loved and the need to have somebody to love. By the way, both of those matter. It's not just that I need to be loved. I need someone I can love as well. God made us relational, so God made us to love other people. And the truth is that many of us go through phases in life. I think uh, I've been through this phase. Many of us go through phases in life. Sometimes they're well-earned phases and sometimes they're not. They're just feelings that we have that aren't really reliable, but we still have the feelings. We go through phases in life where we feel unloved. And when you're feeling unloved, you need to go to Ephesians chapter 3. Because in this text, Paul makes this kind of affirmation. This is really the point of the sermon. I think really the point of Ephesians. God's love is wide enough to include even me. God's love is long enough to last me the rest of my life. God's love is high enough to get me into the very presence of God himself. And God's love is deep enough to reach me no matter how dark the day is. That's the amazing love of Jesus. So let's walk through Ephesians 3 together and see how Paul unpacks this point. And um, again, as I said last week, so I feel a, a particular challenge in Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians has some uh, rational, logical argumentation in it. And again, because Paul is brilliant and he's inspired, the argumentation is really good. But there's just something else at work in Ephesians. There's a gut level thing happening in Ephesians and I feel inadequate to help you have that gut feeling. I wish I had the oratory skills to help you feel this text. Um, I'm not blaming you, I'm just saying, I don't know what, what could I do to help you feel the love of God? Because it's not just to be known about, it's to be, it's to be experienced, it's to be transformational, it's to be felt deep in our guts. You'll hear it in the liturgical language of Ephesians chapter 3, very worshipful language, language that's not really uh, linear, it's language that's lofty. It's language itself that reflects the love of Christ. And we start in verse 1, Ephesians chapter 3, where Paul says, oh, well, let me get over here. Paul says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Now, I'm going to pause for just a moment because I want to make sure we see two things here at work. The first one is Paul is in prison. So we know a little bit about the prison in Rome. We, we're pretty sure Ephesians was written from prison in Rome. Let me say just this about uh, prisons in the Roman Empire. The American Penal Code generally uses prisons and restitution. 
But in Paul's day, prisons were not really used uh, in the penal code. So if you committed a crime in Paul's day, you didn't go to prison. You know, they lopped off your hand or you were sent to, uh, to work in a, a mine somewhere for, say, five years or ten years. Or you might have lashes on your back. But generally speaking, the Roman Empire didn't want to waste any money by supporting a prison. So they just, it was instant punishment. The only people who went to prison in Paul's day were people who were awaiting their sentence, typically people waiting for execution. So if you were in prison in Paul's day, there was a really good chance you were going to be executed. Now, we actually know where the main prison in Rome actually was in Paul's day. It's still there. It's not a prison. It's a museum now. It's called the Mamertine Prison. And I, just, I showed you a clip this time last year, almost the same time the week last year. But I just want to show you just a real quick clip of this Mamertine Prison. So it was a vast set of caverns. But what I'm showing you now is just one of the rooms. It had uh, scores and scores and scores of rooms. What I want you to see, it's underground. It's about 20 feet underground. I want you to see how hopeless it would feel, I think, to be the Apostle Paul sitting in this room for what might be weeks. In some cases, uh, people starved in these rooms. The Roman Empire just let them die there. And he, he's sitting in a prison that looks like this, not like our prisons. And sitting in said prison, he says what? He says, oh my, he's like he's having an ecstatic moment, like some mystical vision where he says, I, I can't describe to you the amazing love that Jesus has for me. I'm just saying, I hope you get this. This is not something you would have expected out of prison. That he would affirm that he's feeling this amazing grace, that he's feeling this massive mission, that he knows and experiences and tastes the love of Christ. And also, I want you to see in this text that Paul um, has to defend himself. So he says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. By the way, Paul does something tricky in this verse. He starts a sentence and then he ends it. He interrupts it himself. And he doesn't get back to his sentence until verse 7. So it's like a very long parenthetical statement where he starts a sentence, stops, interrupts himself, and then he comes back to his sentence seven verses later. And he has to stop himself because he has to defend himself. From the very beginning, the Apostle Paul has always been attacked by people who don't like what he says. It's still being done. You hear it today when people say things like, well, you know, Paul was a misogynist. He didn't like women. And so I follow Jesus, not Paul. Or you'll hear it in things like, you know, Paul didn't really understand same-sex activity as we do today, so you really shouldn't listen to Paul on this. Paul had to defend himself all the way back to his own life. And so that's what he pauses to do. He says, surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace, not that was given to us, but was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation. So Paul says, look, what I'm preaching to you, I got it by a special revelation. I want to make sure everybody knows this. Paul knows a thousand times more about Jesus than any author, blogger, preacher, or speaker in the 21st century. So if you want to know about Jesus, Paul is a reliable witness. In fact, he's an ambassador of Jesus, a divinely appointed ambassador of Jesus, a divinely appointed ambassador of Jesus who got a revelation directly from God. That's what he's saying. So he says, I've already written this to you, then he says what? In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. So Paul claims to be an apostle, and we just need to comment on that. Apostle can mean two things in the Bible. You may not know this. 
Sometimes the word apostle just means something like emissary or uh, someone who's being sent for something. In that sense, a lot of people can be called apostles. If you get sent by your church someplace, in, in a very low sense, little a apostle, you're an apostle of the church. But there's a capital A version of apostle in the Bible. These are the divinely appointed and inspired ambassadors of Jesus. The number is always called the 12, even though there were more than 12. That should tell you something. It should tell you that there's sort of a fixed canon of apostles. In fact, if you remember when Judas commits suicide, they have to replace him because they need 12. There are 12 tribes of Israel, so they're going to be 12 apostles. I just want you to remember that the apostles have a unique role in shaping the Christian faith. When Jesus is asking the question, you know, who do people say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Listen to what Jesus says back. He says, yep, you're right. And he says to the apostles, he doesn't say this to you and me, I don't have this. Only the apostles had this. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, he says. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. So when Peter bound something on earth, it became universal law. When Peter loosed something on earth, it became universal law. Which means that when you read the letters of Peter, it's universal law. Here Paul says in chapter 4 and verse 11 that when Jesus was handing out the gifts, the first gift is a gift of apostolicity, that is, being an apostle. If you recall, in chapter 2, just a few verses before this, Paul says that as God is building a holy temple, Paul says he's building it on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. What I'm trying to do is make sure that you understand you cannot blow off Paul. You can't say, I follow Jesus and not Paul. Paul himself even says, follow me as I follow Jesus. Because he's an apostle. Here's how Peter put it in 2 Peter in chapter 3. He says, uh, he's, he's saying to, the, to the, uh, the readers of 2 Peter, I want to make sure he says that you remember the message, the commandment of the Lord that he gave through the apostles. So when you listen to the apostles, you're listening to the command of Jesus. And I'll just stop with this one. Um, Revelation 21, when the new Jerusalem appears, whose names will be inscribed upon the gates but the apostles? What I'm trying to argue is this. Paul has to take a few minutes at the outset of chapter 3 to say, listen to me. I know what I'm talking about. And I just want that to be an abiding message for the church today because one of Satan's strategies has been in recent decades to divide the Bible. One of Satan's strategies is to say, well, if it's red letters, you should follow that. If it's black letters, it doesn't matter. That's a Satan strategy. Paul makes it clear that when he speaks, it is the very Word of God. So that's what he's arguing here in this text. So he says, uh, this mystery, that's through the gospel of the Gentiles, uh, th- this mystery that through the gospel the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. Paul says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. And to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. So Paul resumes his sentence to say, I'm the prisoner, Paul. I've got all this authority, he says. But the authority is for only one purpose, to preach the gospel to the nations. Paul was able to find his purpose in the middle of a prison through the preaching of the gospel. I just want to stop for a moment and make a comment about that. So I'm coming back to the theme of love because Paul's going to, he's going to get to it in just a minute real heavily. 
But there are times that we feel unloved and disconnected. Sometimes it's, um, I think it's just an inner crisis sometimes. I don't know what it is, a loneliness. Uh, we should remind ourselves that the world is broken, it's fallen. And sometimes our feelings just, um, they're not very reliable, but they catch up with us. Some of you were raised in incredibly dysfunctional homes. We have individuals who were raised with fathers who never loved them, never showed any love. And for a young girl, especially, a young woman, I should say, it's a teenage girl, typically, but not always, and thank God not always, typically when a young woman doesn't receive the love of a father, she spends a lot of the rest of her life looking for that. In fact, she will do extraordinarily dumb things to try to compensate for the love a father didn't give her. Not all women, and again, thank God, a lot of you women are not like that. I mean, yet you weren't, you weren't victims of that. But oftentimes we are because we're just so desperate for love. When a young man grows up in a house where the parents are harsh, the father is super rigid, there's not a lot of relationship, there's... Um, you know, there's, he's distant. He's got a lot of rules, but he doesn't particularly show any concern. Typically, but not always, young men respond by rebelling. They become wild. Because what they're doing is expressing the rage that they feel inside. A rage that they're not loved. And in many cases, they'll wreck their lives. Because they don't have love. I'm saying this for a couple of reasons. First, I just want to be empathetic for a moment. Because I want you to know, even if you don't feel love, Jesus Christ's love will never leave you. Jesus' love is wide enough for you, it's long enough for you, it's high enough for you, and it's deep enough for you. But a second reason I'm saying this is because a lot of us are discipling other people. You just need to be aware of the kinds of battles that the people you disciple might be going through. I mean, remind yourself. Everybody you meet is waging a cosmic battle. Seven years back, I'm going to just tell this story. This is, a, this is a risky story. hope you'll forgive me if you don't like it. Or go get a cup of coffee and I'll come on back in about three minutes, it'll be over. I was sitting with somebody and a, a particularly large man walked by. We were in a restroom and someone made a remark about a buffet and this particularly large man. And I, I won't go any further than that. But I just sat there thinking to myself, you know, like um, I've struggled with weight. And I just, I wasn't offended by it, but I just started asking myself the question, why is that guy struggling with weight? And the more I thought about it, the more, I'm, I literally teared up the more I thought about it. Because I thought to myself, I know why he is struggling with weight. Because he is fighting a cosmic battle inside. I mean, it's a, there's a massive struggle going on inside of him. Now, his might be food. Or food is the medication that he gives himself in order to relieve some of the pain of this cosmic battle. Yours is probably something else, pornography perhaps, an addiction to pornography. For some of you, it's alcohol. You know, we've got a lot of women now who've got to have that glass of wine every night. You're medicating yourself because there is a cosmic battle going on inside of you. And I'm saying this to say... When we interact with one another, a little grace goes a long way. You don't know what battle that person is fighting right now, but all of us are. 
And so when Paul comes along, he's, he's got this mission. And his mission is to address the feeling that I'm not worthy, that nobody loves me. His mission is to say to the world, oh my goodness, there is someone who loves you. The God of the universe and the person of Christ Jesus loves you. His love is so wide, it includes you no matter how far from him you might be right now. His love, it is so long that it will last your lifetime and well beyond that. It will last forever. His love is so high, it will take you to heaven itself where fearlessly and courageously you can approach the throne of God. His love is so deep that no matter no matter how dark it is, no matter what you're feeling right now, his love reaches even you. That's the mission that makes Paul so excited in the middle of a Roman prison while perhaps awaiting an execution. So Paul says, verse 10, chapter 3, he keeps moving. He said, I'm going to find it and try to read it straight from the text here. His intent, that is God's intent, was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to His eternal purpose that He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, I want you to see two things there. The first thing I want you to see is that God is accomplishing His purpose through the church. That really matters. Churches matter. The church is a point of light in an otherwise dark world. In multiple churches, there are perhaps a quarter of a million churches in North America, churches of all stripes, give or take. 250,000 points of light have lit this country for centuries. What we do matters. If you don't think it matters, if you don't think it matters, can you imagine a a country, because I can give you a few examples where there were no churches. Here's one, North Korea. How about uh, China in the 1960s? You know, the Soviet Union, they closed down their churches as they murdered 20 million of their citizens. Cuba now has a number of churches. There are 100 churches of Christ in Cuba, believe it or not. But for a long time, they were harassed. What I'm trying to suggest is that what we do as a church matters, and that's one reason why so many of us, it's a very difficult balance right now. Because on the one hand, we have to keep you safe and we need to be good neighbors. On the other hand, what we do as a church, it matters. The world needs us, even if they don't know it, even if they don't like us, they need us. I've been really proud of how the leaders at North Boulevard, the elders, and others have handled the pandemic. It's not easy to do. Those of you who work for the school system, you appreciate how difficult this is. Those of you who are elected officials, You know how difficult this is, that you're criticized no matter which way you go, and everything in America is now politicized. Everything is. A mask is a political symbol. I read an article from someone I even respect over in uh, Great Britain, the brother of Peter Hitchens, Chris Hitchens, brother of Chris. Peter is the brother of Chris Hitchens, the famous atheist. Well, Peter's a flaming Christian. He just wrote an article about how the mask is a sign of submissive that we ought to rebel against the mass. And it's like, oh, come on, man. Really? Does everything have to be political? Can't some things just be what they are? Those of you who own your own businesses or who are managers, you get how tough this is and how tough it is for a church. What do we do? We know that there are a lot of folks who just can't come if they have to wear a mask. We know that there are other people who are like, if you don't wear a mask, I can't come. 
And you know that if you make a mistake, it could cost somebody their life. But I'm just saying, at the end of the day, who we are and what we do matters. God chose us as the vehicle to which he would proclaim who he is to the world. And while on that subject, let me say, let's grab a blessing from this pandemic. I've mentioned it before. Let's grab a blessing. I see two at least. Here's the first one. The first one is we're going to build, God willing, an online community. Not just a present, not just a program. By the way, program's pretty cool. But is there a way to build a community where we really attach to one another with people across the world? Is there a way to do that? That's a blessing we want to grab. And here's the second blessing. We want to grab a blessing of strong, small groups. North Boulevard is a large church. And as you know, in a large church, the only way to connect is to think small. We have to have small. It's the only way to survive. We have to have small groups. So we're relaunching the, uh, our normal schedule on October the 11th, but we're also launching a focus on small groups on October the 11th. And I'm going to give you a challenge. Even if you're, if you're going to stay home, maybe you should stay home again. We're, we're for that. You can still do this online. I'd like to ask you to do something. Since the church is the vehicle through which God is proclaiming his wonders, his mystery, the gospel to the world, I want to ask you to commit to a small group. We've done a few things to make it easy. So we're having sort of a big focus this fall on small groups to try to really promote small groups and help you get connected. Do this. If you're not in a small group, I'm begging you, go online today and sign up. We're going to do a six-week trial run on October the 11th. If you don't like it, you can end after six weeks. On week number seven, just leave. It's okay. But give us six weeks. And to make it a little juicy for you, I've written a set of uh, small group lessons that each small group's invited to use. We're calling it uh, Coming Apart, Following Jesus in Stressful Times or something. I don't remember what we're calling it, something like that. But we're talking about, yes, politics, race, pandemics, uh, elections, all of that. So it's kind of a a bait to get you to say, I think I want to go see how they're going to do all of that. Will you use that starting on October 11? Join a group, even for six weeks, give us a shot at it. And let me say this, if you're leading a small group for those six weeks, will you meet every single week? Some groups meet every week, but some groups meet every other week. I'm not criticizing every other week, but for those six weeks, will you meet every week? It'll give us a chance to create spiritual families. And so I just want to say this, you can't go to a big church and make great relationships unless you think small. And so I'm asking you to love me in a certain way. I'm going to say this, again, a little risky for me to say it this way, but love me enough not to do this to me. Don't come to North Boulevard for six years or 10 years or two years, never join a small group, and then come up to me and say, I never felt connected. Don't do that to me. Join a small group, and then if you don't feel connected, come criticize me. But don't just hover out there and never make a commitment, never become faithful to anybody, never join a group, and then say, well, you know, they never really connected with me. This is how we connect with you. Your group is your spiritual family. So when Paul says this about the church as the way that God is going to show his manifold wisdom, that's us. This is his game plan. I do want you to note that he not only says he's shown his manifold wisdom, but he says he's doing it to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Did you catch that? What's that? Well, what he says, it's not just that God is going to show the world who he is through us. I love this. 
<coughs> Hang on. God's showing the devil. He's showing the rulers and authorities the spiritual powers. God is using the church. He's using North Boulevard, your church. He's using us to say to the devil, you thought you had them. You can't beat my love. And he points Satan to us and says, look at what I did. We are now a witness to demons. We're a witness to angels. We are a witness to the devil himself. That God's love will break down any barrier to get to us. That's why we say it's deep and it's wide. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God. So this is what the love of God enables us to do. We don't have to crawl to God afraid and fearful. This is not like when Moses received the Ten Commandments and God said, don't touch the mountain. It was smoking, there was lightning, and everybody cowered. That's not what you've come to. You've come to a God to whom you can approach without fear, with courage, because this God loves you. And it's a love that's wide, long, high, and deep. So Paul says, I ask you, therefore, don't be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. I'm going to finish the chapter. So the first 13 verses, Paul just says, this is my mission. My mission is to show you this awesome mystery of God that he's brought you in. And then at verse 14, Paul says a prayer. And this matters because at the end of the day, the only way that we can really feel the love of God is for God to give us that gift. Let me say that again. You can't manipulate the love of Jesus or control the love of Jesus. We receive it as a gift. So Paul doesn't say, if you'll do these 16 things, you'll get the love of God. He says, I'm praying for it. That, that's how we'll end the sermon in a minute. We're just going to pray, Lord. We know you love us, but sometimes we don't feel it. Sometimes we don't feel it. So we want you to help us feel it. For this reason, he says, I kneel. By the way, that's the best way to pray. The best way to pray is to kneel because the, the soul responds to the body. You thought it was the other way around. It works both ways. When the body kneels, you kneel in prayer. The soul responds. So Paul says, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love. Note that he doesn't say to know about it or know that this love is there, but to know it. This is the word know as used in the Old Testament. You remember Adam knew Eve? He knew her so well they had a baby. That's what the word know means here. Paul's like, I want you to know it. I want it to be intimate for you. If you're thinking to yourself, well, it is sometimes and other times it's not. I've got a lot of stuff in my life. Well, join the club because others of us have felt that too. But the answer is, that, Lord, I'm not going to stop knocking on your door until I feel your love, as Paul did sitting in a Roman prison. To know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And then almost as though he's ending the letter to Ephesians, though he's not, he's only halfway through. Paul gives this outburst of praise. 
Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Do you hear what Paul's praying? From the middle of a prison, not even sure he's going to survive. Paul has experienced this mystic vision, this mystical union, this uh, mystic's dream. I know the love of Jesus. I can almost imagine it. Paul sitting in a prison, hands lifted and saying, those of you who fast regularly, do you know when you, you know that feeling when you fast, you get on the second or third day of a fast? You get to the third day of a fast. And your senses are alive. It's like something weird happens to your body. Actually, our bodies were designed for fast. Your senses spring to life. Everything you feel and see things you didn't see or feel before. I can just imagine Paul on his knees and he's feeling that. Oh, my goodness, the amazing love of God. Can we pray that you'll feel it? Not just know that God loves you, but feel it. Because when we feel it in our gut, it drives us. Can I pray? Can I pray for you? Lord, we ask you to help us feel your love, the love in Christ Jesus. Help us to feel, help us to, help it to drive us, Father. Open up our hearts, remove the things that might be blocking us from feeling. Father, the things that are in our past that might weigh us down, lift them up, Father, so that we can feel this amazing love of Christ. And then let us act, Father. On the basis of the fact that you love us and nothing can separate us from you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Hey, guys, here's the deal. Absolutely. The love of God is so wide that it includes every one of you. These guys in prison includes them. If you're in the middle of some terrible sin in your life, you've had a breakdown, you're, in a mar you're married to a jerk, whatever it is. His love is wide enough to include you. And his love, it is long enough that it will never leave you. It will be there throughout eternity. It's not going to leave. His love is high enough that it will take you into the presence of God. You too can have that mystic stream. And his love is deep enough that no matter how dark your moment is, his love is there with you. That's the whole message of Ephesians, that it is the amazing love of God. And from that love, everything points towards this amazing future with Jesus Christ. So you pray this this week. Lord, we want to feel and know your love. And he'll answer that prayer. We'll sing about it now. So here at this campus, wherever you are, if you want to, stand up and let's sing this together.